All right, friends, let us begin. Let us begin this class. This is Kabbalah Cafe, and we are off to a fun start. At least I'm having fun. Hopefully you guys are enjoying the breakfast and, uh, and ready to rock and roll. Okay, so today the topic is... I, I can tell. <laughs> You're the bouncer. All right, so today's topic is learning with the angels. So I was thinking, can we call it dancing with the stars? Although we're going to talk about heaven, but we're not really dancing. Learning with the stars. I, I settled on learning with the angels. That was where I, I settled, but it is what it is. Okay, so we are going to explore Torah in heaven. But first, I want to preface what I wrote in the email. Um, my constant caveat is, if you're not getting the weekly Kabbalah Cafe email, just let me know, and I'll make sure to add you to the list so that you can uh, learn about the topic that's upcoming, as well as if we're not having class for whatever reason. All right, after that public service announcement, back to our story. So I wrote in the email that there's two languages amongst the two traditional um, phrases that describe the relationship with Torah, or sorry, the, the, the full spectrum of Torah, as it were. So one is that Torah is medaber, betachtonim, the Torah speaks to, to us here, umiramez be'elyonim, and hints to higher ideas, spiritual ideas, spiritual truths. That's one idea, in other words, or one framing. One framing is that Torah speaks right here, but it alludes to spiritual dynamics and, and, and metaphysical forces. That's the simple way of understanding Torah, which means, Let's, let's make this very simple. When you read a story about Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve were Adam and Eve. When you read a story about, about Avram, Abraham, there was a guy named Avram who was married to a woman named Sarah. They had a tent. It was open on all four sides. They were looking to have a child, etc., etc. The stories are real. Moses um, was a guy. He was a leader. He led the Jewish people, 10 plagues, all of the dynamics. As well as when you come to the mitzvot of Torah, Right? The red heifer is a red heifer. And tzitzis are tzitzis. And tefillin are tefillin. And Shabbos are Shabbos. The Torah speaks to us right here. When you read Torah, this is what it means. The way we read it and translate it is what it is. is, what it is. At the same time, Torah also, as an extra bonus, also alludes to spiritual dynamics. In other words, if you know how to learn or interpret Torah in a certain way, you can, you can extract spiritual ideas from Torah that are not literal. So Torah literally speaks here, but, you can, but it also alludes to spiritual dynamics that you can kind of pull out, tease out from the text. And I would say that's how most of us think about Torah. I believe it's the Shalah HaKadosh who writes this. Rabbi Shai HaLevi Horowitz, the great uh, mystic, lived in the 1500s or 1600s. The Shalah writes... By the way, a lot, a lot of Horowitzes are related to the Shalah. I know Trevor, I know you know Trevor. Trevor, um, whenever I mention the Shalah, Trevor always looks at me like, you know I'm from, <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> We're going to do actually a program on that at some point, like uh, a, dive, a deep dive into the Shalah. Shalah was, was incredible. So he writes, I believe he writes this. After all that intro, I think he was the one who says this. If not, it was someone else, like um, uh, um, in that era or an, an honest caliber. And the phrase is a little bit different. It's Torah medaber be'elyonim. Torah speaks to the spiritual dynamic. Umeramez betachtonim. And only alludes to our dynamic. 
Which means that Torah primarily, the question is what's primary, what's secondary? Or where is, where is Torah at? So in the second understanding, you know what Torah really is? Torah is really speaking about divine truths. Torah is really speaking about spiritual ideas, cosmic dynamics, right? Spiritual forces. That's what it's speaking about. It happens to also allude to all of the stories and all of the mitzvahs that have a physical um, incarnation, as it were, but really it speaks on that level. Now, whichever phraseology you choose, the truth is, this, is it's the same truth, which means that Torah speaks here and it speaks up there as well. But really the question is one of, one, uh, which one is primary, which one is secondary, or more importantly, is Torah speaking of spiritual truths almost an add-on or an aftermarket or an afterthought, or is it a primary element and component of Torah? Does that make sense? So the mystics say the following. Kol HaTorah, the entire Torah, Shmotav Shalakalash Baruch Divine names. Think about code. Think about code. Any coders here? Any programmers? Yeah? You code? Oh, really? I didn't even know that. Huh? What did you say? You did it before they call it coding. Nice. Nice. Um, that's very cool. So you deal with code. That's my job. Really? Oh, great. Okay, so now, now the challenge is now you can fact check me. Darn. No, I'm kidding. So code is, I think, uh, from my limited exposure to it, it's strings of letters and numbers, right? And if you want to change something, let's say, on a piece of software, to change a color, you change letters, you don't dial up red, right? You don't dial up, you know, whatever it is. You, you, it's, there's, a, there's a number, a hex number, whatever it's called. There's a uh, hash, right? There's, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a number code that, that is attributed to each, to each color. That's just one example of colors. So the mystics tell us, Kabbalah says, that the entire Torah, Torah is God's names, which means it's like a string of code. String of code of divine, divine names, which means that you could imagine if you could, okay, imagine if, like theoretically, you could look at code on your computer screen and just reading the letters and numbers, imagine if that made sense. The code, if it made sense, if it was intelligible, intelligible? Yeah, intelligible on the screen itself. And at the same time, it also coded something behind the scenes. Does that make sense? Imagine if what's driving, what's a piece of software that we all use? What's a, what's a, or what's a website? I don't know. Imagine if um, Google, right? Imagine if the code of Google, I don't know how many lines of code Google has. Probably a lot. And they probably don't post it to GitHub. That was just a, <laughs> just to let you know that I know a little bit, but not really. Um, so, right. Yeah, at least 500 lines, right? And, and they, 500 lines, when, they, when Google writes 500 lines, it's, I will search fast. I will search fast. Um, that's, all right. Good. Uh, yeah, that's a chalkboard reference. Okay, so old school discipline. That never worked. So back to, this, back to the point. So imagine if you could look at all of those lines of code and not know the code because you're a programmer, but read the code because somehow, some way, those letters also are words and phrases in English. Let's just say, let, theoretically, if you could read the code and it makes sense, 
as it is. And at the same time, it's also a code that triggers or that creates some other dynamic, some other force that also exists. That would be remarkable. That would be a piece of code right there. That would be quite the code. That would mean two things simultaneously, that you could read it simply as a story, and it also would, would create soft. That would be pretty cool. Folks, welcome to Torah. <laughs> Torah, you can read it on the surface. There's a guy named Abraham, a wife named Sarah. They had a child named Isaac. And Yishmael from... Uh, anyway, so right, you can read it on the surface, and at the same time... Shmotav Shalakash Baruch it's divine code, divine names, i.e. it's code, divine code, that triggers all sorts of spiritual phenomena. Divine code written in a way that you can also understand it on the surface. So this, this explains the phrase or the, the notion of pardes. And I'm sure many of you know what pardes is. I actually brought a prop to class today. Look at that. I brought a prop. This is, called, this is brand new. This is called Mikraot Gedolot Hapardes. That's what the Hebrew says. Um, this is a new set of Chumashim. Chumash is the you know, five books of Moses. It's the, it's the Torah. So this is a new, um, a new set that came out, I don't know, maybe a year or two ago. And it has commentaries uh, along all of the levels of Torah interpretation that are summarized by the phrase Pardes. Paradise literally means orchard or garden, right? Paradise. I guess Gan would be garden. Paradise is orchard, but Paradise also stands. It's an acronym. Paradise, four Hebrew, four Hebrew letters. Pei, pa, right? Reish, Dalid, Samach stands for four Hebrew words: Pshat, Remez, Drush, and Sod. And what is Pshat, Remez, Drush, Sod? These are four tiers. Four dimensions of Torah interpretation of Torah understanding. Pshat is the simple level. That's what we've been alluding to, or not alluding to, as we've been speaking about today. One of the levels is the simple level of understanding Torah. When I say simple, I don't mean it's easy. I mean it's the basic surface level. Here's a story of a man named Braid. No, there's a, here's a story. We're going to try to get in a few references today. Right. So there's a story. Right, of a guy and a girl, and they meet by the well, and they fall in love, and they get married, and Mazel Tov, it's um, Jacob and, and, uh, and, and Rachel. Right, so, so you have stories in the Torah, level of pshat tells you the story and the mitzvah, the very basic, simple level of, of, of the meaning. Rashi is the primary commentary in the realm of pshat. If you want to know pshat, if you want to know what, the story is, or what the mitzvah, the basic meaning of the mitzvah is on a very physical, practical level. If you want to read the code and not understand the software, but read the code and, and understand and, 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 and get the story on the surface level of the code, that is pshat. Rashi does that very, he's the, uh, you know, the king of, of pshat commentaries. Remes is the hints, it's, the, the, um, uh, it's what the Torah text hints to, um, allusions and um, and hints. So you have like the Balaturim is one of the commentaries um, that exists on the level of, of Remes. Remes also includes gematria, numerology. 
So when you have a word that has a numerology and it tells us an insight about something else because that also has the numerology, so when you have the numbers are connected, that's remez. That's not a simple level of understanding it. That's already a little bit deeper. Drush is what we, in English, is called homiletical. I don't even know what that means, really. Homily, what's homily? I don't know. But I feel like I passed it on the highway once. Kidding. So what is, what is the homiletical level interpretation? Homiletical means that it's kind of like the... Um, deriving you know, life lessons from the story or kind of applying it to our lives and stories and parables from the stories in Torah. And then you have Sod. That's Pshat, Rem is Drush, right? Like the Medrash. And then you have Sod. And what's Sod? Sod are the secrets. Sod is the Kabbalah. Sod is the spiritual dynamic, the spiritual dimension, sorry, the spiritual dimension of Torah. Now this Chumash, the reason why I brought it, just to show you, is that what this uh, publisher did is that they collected commentaries on the verses from all four levels of Torah interpretation, which means you could study a verse in Torah and learn it on level pshat. Yeah, yeah. So far, it's only Hebrew. Yeah, so far, it's only Hebrew. There are seven volumes. Now, just to be clear, they didn't do all of the commentaries of each of the four levels. They selected. They also have Hasidut over here. They have the Rebbe's teachings. Very impressive that they have really um, a, a wide range so, for example, um, on this one page that I opened to randomly, um, with my bookmark, I'm kidding. No, randomly opened up. You have Rashi, Eben Ezra, Kliyakar, Arachayim, Ben Ishchai, and Breslev. You have all sorts of, this is like all across the board. Oh, the next one has Rashi, Admar Milobavich, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Eben Ezra, Ramban, Balaturim, Sforno, Arachayim, Sfasemes, Breslev, base Aaron. You have like, it's a wide range of selected commentaries. Now, who selected? How did they select? What was the criteria? I don't know. I didn't read the introduction. But I like it because it gives you a nice um, variety of, of, um, of commentaries and ideas. All right. All in Hebrew, though. Yes. Yes. Tiny text. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, very small text. How does one become a modern-day commentator? Oh, you have to go to commentary school. That's a whole thing. You have to get a degree in commentary. <laughs> oh, oh, very good, very good. We have to bring back the smicha like we spoke about yesterday. Good. All right. Yeah. No, the medrash. Yeah. Not specific, like you said, the drashi is. Drashi, yeah, that's a medrash, and 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 sfar, uh, um, sfar, no. sifri, sifra, tanchuma. Uh, you have tons of uh, volumes and volumes of volume of drushim. And by the way, in the Gemara, in the Talmud, there's also tons of, of, of drush, the level of, of, of drash. So the point of this is that when you encounter Torah, you encounter a verse or a mitzvah, there are so many different ways to learn it. You can learn it on a simple, practical, what I would, I guess, call actionable level. Like, okay, so what do I do? Then you can learn it on a completely different level, which is like, what is this? What's the message? What's the lesson? What does it teach us? So let's just take one example. And I, I alluded to it before, and I, I did this so specifically. All right, so let's talk about the red heifer. Let's talk about the, red, the paraduma. Why paraduma? The reason why I'm picking this example actually is because it is one of the most mysterious mitzvot. Um, it's considered to be a chok, like, well, when I say considered to be, the Torah itself refers to it as a chok. So for those that are familiar with this, um, you'll know what I mean by chok. Like yeah, so I'll just break this down quickly. So there are three types of mitzvot. There's edus, 
Chukim and Mishpatim. Let's go in a different order. Let's go Mishpatim, Eidos, and Chukim. Let's go in that order. So what are Mishpatim? Mishpatim is, I guess, what we would call civil law, although it's not always, not only civil law, but Mishpatim are those laws that make a ton of sense, that conceptually or theoretically, even without Torah, humanity might have come up with that at some point. So like, do not kill, do not steal, you know, just basic law and order stuff. And that make respecting your parents, like that stuff kind of makes sense. So we call that mishpatim. You don't have to stretch your imagination. Okay. Then you have another category called edos. Edos are testimonials. Testimonials are like, I study Torah and I love it. I'm kidding. That's not a testimonial. Joke. You got you to move quickly here or else you might not catch all the really bad jokes. That's just a, for, a fair warning. All right. You will catch all that, which you're saying... This is ad- advocacy for not moving quickly. Okay. How are you going to put together a compilation? Oh, wow. The worst of. So, edus um, so is testimonials. What are testimonials? That is like Shabbat. So, you wouldn't have necessarily come up with a day of rest on your own. Humanity would not have necessarily come up with a day of rest, like the seventh day. But, it's, it bears testimony, i.e. it's, it's, a, it's a, um, a commemoration. That's a better word, commemoration. Right. So, so, and it's also commemorating the fact that God created the world in six days, rest on the seventh, so we, or Passover, Pesach. Would we have come up with the Seder on our own? No. Trust me, no. <laughs> we definitely would not have. The cleaning before Pesach, absolutely no. Well, I mean, cleaning is always good, but whatever, on that level. Eating, yes. But eating only crunchy uh, flatbread, and you're not sure, I, I'm sure I told this story before. So Leah was, uh, as, a, as, a, as a young girl in Johannesburg, so she recalls the story. It's, it's, uh, it's a story. So she was at her family's her parents' Seder, and they had a guest over. And you know the Korach sandwich, the, or the Hill sandwich, where you put um, pizza matzah, pizza matzah, you throw in a little bit of romaine, and what else do you put in there? Choroset. That's it, right? That's all we do. Horseradish, right? Yeah, the whole. Th- okay, I don't know why I'm blanking out suddenly. Oh no, what is Passover? I don't, whatever. So, so, so this guy, so this person at this guest has the sandwich ready to go, and puts because you know sometimes when you have that sandwich, everything can fly everywhere. So the guest puts like a napkin behind the sandwich. I'm sure you've heard the story, Sandra. You know? No, this first time. Yeah, because <laughs> all the other shows. So, so basically, there's like a napkin behind the, uh, the, the thing, the sandwich. The, ge- the guest is eating the sandwich, and at the end, was ho- just holding the napkin, and there's a hole in the napkin. <laughs> What's the moral of the story? You would never know if you're eating matzo or a napkin. <laughs> you know, the, the, the real, you know that in the beginning of creation, the trees, the bark was supposed to taste like the fruit. Do you guys know this, Madrash? It's a Madrash. Madras says that Hashem said, "Eats." I forget the word. Eats ochel pre or pre eats ose pre whatever. A fruit tree bearing fruit. So why is it called a fruit tree? The tree itself was supposed to be like the fruit. Eats pre ose pre. A fruit tree bearing fruit. There's a redundancy. So Chazal tell us, or sages tell us, that in the, originally God tells the tree. Right? I want you, you to be edible. The tree itself should be edible. The tree defied God. And the Torah says what emerged from the ground only ate osepri. Not pre-ate osepri. Not a fruit tree bearing fruit. But a tree bearing fruit 
what, what does that mean? That the tree refused to listen to God. Said, nope, my bark will not be like my bite. Or something like that. Oh. I was sitting on that for a while, trying to see how I could fit that in. <laughs> they will not bite my bark. They will not bite my bark. Oh, another, good, good, good. I was trying to figure out exactly how to do that. This is on the fly. This is like, this brand new, brand new material. So the bark, what do you say? How do you say it? The bark, oh, I caught you mid-bite. That was a setup also. So, right, the bark, right, don't bite my bark. So it defied Hashem, which means, imagine, imagine a peach tree, right? I think they have a few in Georgia. Georgia. It's like a few, one or two, right? So you have, imagine a peach tree that you could actually eat the tree and it tastes like peaches. It would be great. You won't get peaches next year, though. Why? Uh, oh, oh, this man knows what the trees were thinking. The tree said, Hashem, what? You kidding me? We're going to go and, and, and be edible? We're not going to exist anymore. So for self-preservation, they defy God's order. That was the first instance of a creation. Going, We know what happened subsequently, right? People go off the rails. We're now eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil that we shouldn't eat from. But the first one to defy God, as it were, is the tree. Why am I mentioning this? That's the real question. Why am I mentioning this? Man. Can't remember. No. <laughs> um, anyway, it was good while it lasted. All right, back to the story. Right, right, right. So we have Mishpatim, Eidos. We're talking about Eidos testimonials. And we were talking about... Oh, I know why. Oh, wow. This is a very elaborate setup. Oh, my gosh. Good matzah. The box tastes like the matzah. I'm sorry. That was such a letdown after all that. After all that. Wow. All right. Back to the story. So that's the second category. I apologize for that one. So the second category of mitzvahs are the ones that are called Eidos. Testimonials. So again, the human mind wouldn't have conjured up those details. But once we have them, they make sense. Makes sense. We got it. Sure. Passover, Exodus, Hanukkah, Maccabees. We get that. Great. Then you have the third category of mitzvot. They're called chukim. Chukim are translated as decrees. What's a decree? A decree means do as I say. Why? Because I said so. Decree means the mitzvah, even after we have it and after we study it, really doesn't make a lot of sense. And the only reason why we're doing it is because Hashem said, to do it. Shotness. Like not, huh? Shotness. Yes, like not wearing wool and linen together. Why? It's a faux pas. Imagine you're walking the, the, the runway, the red carpet, what do they call it? The, what's the big one? The Oscars? Right? It's like, uh, who are you wearing? It's like wool and linen. Oh, the horror. Right? So that's, Hashem's like, that's a faux pas. That is a faux pas, fashion faux pas. You know. Right, so, by, so, so wool and linen, some say, what's the reason for wool and linen? Because wool comes from the animal, and linen comes from a plant, and we're mixing two dimensions of reality together. Anyway. And, and not, correct, correct, kalayim, right, these types of mixtures. So these are examples, good, along with the red heifer of mitzvot that are chukim. Chukim are mitzvot that we don't really understand. We pretty much... Do it because we were told to do it, or don't do it because we're told not to do it. But either way, we just follow orders, and, and it's not really about a rational thing. In fact, the red heifer is in the Torah portion called Chukat. Zot Chukat HaTorah. The Torah, Torah portion opens up. God says to Moses, Zot Chukat HaTorah. This is the Chok 
of the Torah, the Chok, i.e. the super-rational decree of Torah. And what is it? The red heifer, the para aduma. Now, when was the red heifer? So what I want to do for the next few moments is talk about the red heifer on a simple level and then talk about it on a much deeper level. So on a simple level, the Torah tells us that if somebody comes in contact with a deceased human being, a corpse, a human corpse, they, are, they become um, impure. Now, impure doesn't mean not physically clean. It's a spiritual impurity. And it's the highest level, it's the most severe, within Jewish law, it's the most severe state of ritual impurity. So there's a lot of ways that one can become ritually impure. If you, let's say, a dead rodent, or what, there's a lot of different things that could render somebody impure. But come in contact with human death, with, with, a, with, a, with a, a human corpse, that is the most severe. You have to wait seven days, and there's a whole process. And part of the process is getting sprinkled with the waters of a red heifer. And I actually think, what kind of waters of the red heifer are there? Like, what, what does that even mean? So here's what, here's what happens. Huh? It doesn't sound too good. Well, it, it's, good. it's still not going to be good, even after we can, we can do this. Adam, I got you the uh, few one, because that way you get all the hard questions. If any hard questions that come in, I direct them straight to you. <laughs> come on in. Um, oh, just some bad jokes. <laughs> Par for the course. Um, yeah, so I want to explore the red heifer on a level of pshat. So what's pshat? What's the simple? Yeah, exactly. And then we're going to go deeper. So what's the simple meaning of the, of the red heifer? So or, or what's the process? So red heifer is, so you find, you first of all, you have to identify red heifer. The animal has to be perfectly red, not even two black hairs. So like, like if it has two black hairs on the entire animal, it's no longer a red heifer. So, um, you, and I don't know if you, like, I don't know where these news reports are, but like sometimes you'll see like, oh, red heifer found in Texas or something. They're always finding, always Texas. It's always Texas, right? Oh, that's why. Has he ever had one or no? Who knows? Who knows? He claims. All right, fine, good. Um, so, so you take a red heifer. It's not gonna. It's it's it doesn't sound pretty here. So you take the red heifer. You slaughter the red heifer, you burn the red heifer, and now you have ashes. You take the ashes of the red heifer, you mix it with water, but special water. Water that is drawn from a pure source, from a natural source, from a spring, etc. So you take the water, you put it into a vessel like a bowl, then you sprinkle the ashes into the vessel of water, and then you also, like you have like hyssop, and you have other, like a stick made of some sort of wood. I forget which wood it is exactly. Maybe some cedar, hyssop. What? Um, is the fur? Does the fur get burnt too? Is the what? What? The red fur. Does it get burnt to eyes? The skin. Oh yeah, yeah. You burn the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's no longer red after that. <laughs> it's the ashes, right? You would never know, but it's a red heifer. It's the ash of the red heifer. So now you take the ashes, you mix it with water. So far, this sounds compelling, right? Or just a little strange. So then you mix it with water, and then ultimately, after you know, then you sprinkle it upon the person who became, who came in contact with the deceased, with the with the corpse. But it had to last a long time because it's very rare. Yes, they're only they've only done this nine times, right? 
Yeah, it's very rare to find. I have a bottle in the, uh, in the fridge. <laughs> Kidding. Do not have a bottle in the fridge. The last time it was done, that's a very good question. It's probably, I don't know if they had it in the times of the second. Uh, yeah, they would have to have had it in the times of the second temple. Because in order to go to the temple, I mean, at some point, everyone comes in contact with, with death. So you would have to have had that in the times of the second temple. I guess probably after that. You know, Maimonides, I'm forgetting, Maimonides describes um, who made each of the nine red heifers. The first was made by Moses, etc. Describes each of the nine red heifers and who, who processed that. Um, and I guess they, they kept it around through the end of the second temple era. And it, Maimonides concludes that by saying the tenth would be made by Mashiach. And, you know, that's, that's going to be the one that, I guess, purifies everyone. Everyone, by the way, is presumed to be in a state of ritual impurity, needing a red heifer. If you've ever walked into a hospital, so Jewish law says that contact with a dead body doesn't only mean touching a corpse, but even being under the same roof as a corpse. So which means if you've been to a hospital, most likely somebody in that building at some point may be deceased. You know, they have a morgue usually in the building, you know, patients who pass away, they keep them. So the odds are, no, I mean, right? I mean, that's... People just, die all the time. People die all the time, right? Huh? Or a cemetery, exactly. So, so modern day, what happens? No, because there's no temple, so it's fine. When I say it's fine, I mean, you don't, yeah, you don't do any of that. So you just, you just roll with it because, I mean, it's only relevant to, like, going to the temple or eating of the sacrificial meats, which we don't have today. So, but that's why we wash. Yeah, we do some sort of purification, but it's not, it, that we're, we are all presumed to be in that state. Now, one, 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 important, one interesting thing. If you're a Kohen, so Kohanim will not go, well, will try to avoid going to a cemetery, even though it's presumed, and some like are hesitant about even like visiting hospitals, whatever, even though it's presumed that everyone is in that state of ritual impurity on that level, but a Kohen who has a special you know, calling to be pure, even though that's for the temple and there's no temple today, um, you know, Kohanim have a custom to not you know, put themselves into spaces where you know, it's that. So, so like at a, at a cemetery, a Kohen will stand on the side. Um, by the Rebbe Cemetery in Queens. So they have a special pathway. It's very interesting how they built it. They built in, in, the, in the cemetery to go to where the Rebbe is laid to rest. So they have um, like a pathway set. I mean, there's pathways everywhere, but this one has like walls on the side. And those walls are high enough to be con- construed a mechitza, like, a, like a, a Jewish legal barrier of separation, which creates a separate domain so that the path is not considered to be part of the cemetery and therefore Kohanim can go. Originally, before they, they put that in by the Rebbe Cemetery, I remember they used to have somebody, fat, somebody cobbled together a box, literally a box with handles. Imagine, okay, imagine like one, two, four walls, open on top, open on bottom, you would step, I'm not a Kohen, you would step in, you would, st- you would step in, hold the box, and walk with the box. And the box was high enough, I think it's like three feet, the minimum amount of like water mechitzes, it's like it was high enough to render, um, you know, a, a separate space. But at that point, I mean, that's great for Kohanim in general. I like kind of standing up and moving around, it's kind of cool. Anyway, so it, like it renders Should just the... That's next level. <laughs> that is next level. <laughs> It'll so, be like so Al- Ali's cookies. Everyone's dying to have one. We're in Queens as a cemetery. Oh my God. Did I just say that? Yeah. <laughs> Did everyone just tell me 
Yeah. When that person who's coming goes into the mikvah, doesn't that contaminate the mikvah? No. The mikvah has special powers. It only purifies and it doesn't it become doesn't impure. The it doesn't move it around to the next person, no. No, but what I'm saying, it doesn't remove it. You need the red pepper. Oh, yeah, yeah, Oh, sorry. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for that level of impurity, the only thing, the only way out is red heifer. So, oh, so that's a good segue. That's a good segue um, for the deeper understanding. Now, all that is on a basic level. So if you want to know the midst of the red heifer, all right. I mean, I don't, we didn't do all the details. But... No. Yeah, because that's hands-on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very hands-on. A coin wouldn't. Now, you're asked, I think you're touching on an interesting question. What if the only one in a town, the only one that's knowledgeable about how to do, a, uh, you know, getting the body ready for burial after a person passed away, what if the only, huh? How would he know? He knows the law, and he finds himself in a place, and a person passes away, and he's the only one around, and someone has to lay the person to rest, and he's the only one there. We call that a mess mitzvah meaning um, uh, a situation where there's no one else around and now it's a mitzvah to lay this person to rest. At that point, you do it. You do it because it's, you know, it's a mitzvah. If the mitzvah can be done by others, others do it. The Kohen doesn't do it. But if, no one else, if there's no one else around. All right, so that's on a basic level. What's on a deeper level? On a deeper level, paraduma, you know, there's a lot of questions. Uh, you know, why the red heifer? Why the ashes? Why the water? I'm going to share with you a few ideas. Um, that are told in the deeper areas of Torah study. Ashes represent death. Why do ashes represent death? Because, well, on a basic level, when the, when the red heifer is reduced to ashes, it's definitely no longer alive, right? Ashes represents that something, you know, it's, it's reduced to its, I don't even know how to describe it. It's reduced like- Reduced to carbon. Reduced to carbon, right? It's a basic. It's 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 all it's right. The comp- it's it's composition as a cohesive thing is, has been, you know, destroyed, and and it's now just you know it's 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 separate pieces of of um, of of um, of ashes. Ashes are like separate pieces of of I don't know of matter. So on a basic level, ashes is death. Water is symbolic with. Life, right? Death and life. And the idea here is that you take the ashes and you put into the water. And you have like a psychological message or an emotional message to someone who's come in contact with death, meaning someone who's experienced losing a loved one. What's the response to losing a loved one? How does one come, come back out? So tears, certainly. It's a mitzvah to mourn. But at some point, the Torah is telling us that in order to get out of that state of impurity, which means also not just ritual impurity on a technical level, but that state of, of, of brokenness. And I don't know if we ever get, really get out of that state of brokenness, but ha- how does one emerge? How does one hope to emerge? It's by taking the ashes and mixing it with water. It's by resuming life. It's by you know, reinfusing from a place of absence, reinfusing the absence with presence, with something to live for. We showed a video um, a few nights ago on, on Tisha B'Av, a really powerful video that shows people who went through just tremendous trauma and tremendous hardship <coughs> and how they chose to reinfuse their life with light and meaning and purpose from darkness to light, from tragedy to hope. And, and, and that was a choice that they made. And it's almost like the Torah is encouraging us to take the ashes, 
mix it with water, to go from the space of devastation and get into that place of rebirth. So that's just one idea, that's just one element about the red heifer. It also explains in, in Kabbalah and Hasidus that um, we have two opposites when it comes to fire, because how do you get the ashes? Through burning the animal, and then you mix the ashes with water. So you have fire and water, and fire and water are two elements that are polar opposites on, on many different levels. Fire rises up. If you, ever hold, if, you, if you ever see fire, it's always going up. Take a candle and you turn it sideways, the flame still goes up. It's always going up. Water always goes down. If you have a leak in your bathtub, the water doesn't remain there. It will go... Oh, I had a leak in the bathtub. If you open the drain <laughs> of your bathtub, the water's going to go down, or your sink. The water's going to go down. It's never going to stay up. It's not like the water's like, no, I'm comfortable. I think I'll stay here. The water will always, if you're holding a cup, a leaky cup, it's go, with a, a cup with a hole in it, it's always going to go down. So water always, liquid always goes, water always goes down. Fire always goes up. These are two opposites. Explained in Kabbalah and Hasidus that this is the deeper message of Para Aduma and why it's Zod Chukata Torah. It's the the chok, the, the decree of Torah. Because what is this mitzvah telling us? It's telling us that life is really a composite of fire and water, of moving up and coming back down. So a, a little bit of a preface. We, last week, I think we spoke about, I think we spoke about this, the great descent of the soul into the body and how that is almost, almost traumatic for the soul. Take a soul, a pure piece of God, and you put the soul into this world, and God does this, obviously, right? Not like we're doing this. God takes a pure soul and, 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 and schleps it down to earth from heaven. It's very traumatic. And the soul, being aware of its original source, the soul by nature has a desire to go back up. In fact, in Pirkei Avot, Ethics of Our Fathers, it says, against your will, you are alive, which means the soul... Always want, like the flame. Why do you think, we talked about this before in, in, in classes together. Why does fire always go up? Why is it always trending upwards? Why does fire burn things in the first place? Because fire doesn't want to exist. Fire has an existence problem. Fire doesn't like being. It doesn't. Fire wants to return, it's according to Kabbalah, fire wants to return to its source. Above into the ethereal source of fire, which is spiritual. Fire doesn't want to be manifest. See, most everything else wants to be here. In fact, it really wants to be here, and therefore it, it, it sustains itself and, and, and creates more existence, more presence for itself. Fire is weird. Fire is the only element that, left to its own devices, will burn itself out. And when you put fire to something, you're almost for First of all, how does fire emerge? You have to strike it into existence. You have to force it into being. Fire doesn't want to be here. Fire has an existential problem. It does not want to be here. It wants to be in heaven. It wants to be with its spiritual source above. Fire has to be forced, literally struck into being. Literally forced into existence. And then when it's here, you have to have a whole elaborate system to hold it down. It you have to have... Huh? It doesn't, can't exist by itself. You need a wick, you need oil, you need fuel, you need this, you need that, you need a whole thing. And then when that's done, what happens? It's out. And in fact, we, we think of fire as destructive. It's not destructive. It doesn't want to be here. So whatever you put to it, it creates what it wants for itself. It, fire, when you force fire into existence, all it thinks of is, I want to undo myself. 
So now you put it to a piece of paper. It says, all right, the only way for me to undo myself is to undo that first. So I'm going to undo that, and then, I'll do, and then I'll be undone. You with me on this? Fire wants to be gone. The soul, ner Hashem, nishmat Adam. The flame, the candle of God is the soul of the human being. Ner Hashem, Hashem's ner, Hashem's candle, is our soul, i.e. the soul is... I think I'm hitting the mic. It's going to be weird. Um, the, the verse, ner Hashem, ner, like nerot, like uh, candles, ner Hashem, God's candle, nishmat, nishmat, nishmat Adam, is the, it's from Mishli, from Proverbs, is the soul of Adam, man, human being, which means that our soul is likened to a flame. What's the, what's the correlation? What's the connection? Here, here's, the, here's the connection. Just like a flame doesn't want to be here, and as long as it's here, it's looking how to get out. It's like, how do I get out of here? Our soul is the same way. The soul is sent down here. And now it's in a body. Great. It's the last place it wants to be. And the whole time the soul is trying to figure out an escape plan. The whole time it's trying to figure out an escape plan. It says in, in, in the Mishnah, in Pirkei Avot. Against your will you live. In other words, life is forced upon the soul. Life. Life here on earth is forced upon the soul. The soul doesn't want to be here. The soul is forced into this space. Okay. At the same time, so where does the soul want to be? Back with Hashem. However, here's, here's the catch. The soul says, I love God, I love you. I don't want to be here. I want to be with you. I don't want to be here on planet Earth. Planet Earth? You know what's going on on planet Earth? We talked about this yesterday. Barbie and Oppenheimer. <laughs> Barbenheimer. That's what everyone's going, that's what everyone's getting excited about. Right? It's, it's a mashup. Someone's going to do that. I'm sure. I, I am the last one. I will never underestimate Barbie. Barbie is, Barbie is a force of nature. Really? Did they say, really? No, I didn't know that. I, I asked everyone. I don't, okay. I didn't. I never Did came across it. Jews had a bit in Barbie and in Oppenheimer. Jews are everywhere. It's the blonde hair that throws us. Right. Right. two percent of the population. We sure are making. We we are definitely influencers. All right, but back to the script, or the story. So what's going on here? Script because moving. So we have um, the soul is here. And it's in this world, this world is like, I don't know, like, what's going on here? This is crazy. Like, it's also it's so hot outside. The soul is probably like, what is this? In heaven, it's a cool 72, right? Or 78. It's whatever. It's like it's so hot outside. Oh, so hot and humid. Who wants to be here? So the soul wants to go back to Hashem. However, but here's the catch. Hashem, so it loves Hashem, wants to be with Hashem. Great. But what does Hashem want the soul to do? Hashem wants the soul to be here. We talked about this last week, right? Hashem sends the soul on a secret mission. It's not so secret, but on a mission to make this world a better place. So imagine, imagine. This is an example that I'm sure you've heard me say. Perhaps I'm sure you've heard me say. So imagine you are with your loved one and you're hanging out and spending time together and you love being with them. And then they say to you, this is like an old of an old-time reference, they say to you, "Do you mind? I, um, I, I'd like you to please go down to the corner store. Or remember, on the corners of the streets, they had those boxes. 
Remember those boxes? No, 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 the newspaper. Right, so go down to the corner, right? Did they ever have those here? Yeah. For sure, right? For sure. So go down to the corner and pick up the news Sunday morning. Pick up, I like the funnies. Anyone calls it the funnies? No one calls it that anymore. Right? I like the funnies. I want to read the funnies. Let's do it. Can you call it the funnies? So uh, please get a paper. I like to read the paper over some coffee and some breakfast together. Imagine the husband says, the wife says to the husband, imagine the husband says, I just want to spend time with you. She's like, no, I get that, but I'd like you to get the newspaper. No, but I, want to sp- I don't want to leave you. Like, oh, bro, go get the paper. <laughs> if you really love me, <laughs> you'll leave <laughs> and get the paper and then come back. God says to the soul, you love me? You want to hang out with me? I appreciate that. I really love that. I'm feeling that, I'm feeling that connection. However, however, what I really want from you is to go down there for 120 years, 78, 120 years, and make a difference there. Make that space conducive to my, to my presence. Make it a home for me, God says to the soul. So the soul is conflicted. Here's the conflict. The soul wants to be with Hashem in heaven. But Hashem want, but so the soul wants to be with its beloved God. But its beloved wants it here. You see the you see the, the, the loop. And so the soul vacillates between these two dynamics. On the one hand, the soul is yearning like a fire, trending upward, trying to undo itself, unravel its own existence, and return back to its source. But on the other hand, if it really senses its source and is aware of its source, well, its source wants from it to be right here. Not to unravel, not to undo oneself, but to make a difference here. In the here and now, in the present, with the physical body, with the physical stuff, as we said last week, with the physical stuff around us to make a difference right here. But it consumes the body. So now this, yeah, so now the soul is stuck. So should the soul undo itself? Like a fire, or should it settle like water in? Should it lean out or lean in? That's a book. No. Right? Should it, should it go up or go down? So this is the dual nature of the soul. And the truth is, the mystics explain, the soul has both of these dynamics constantly. In the language of the mystics, it's called ratzo and shov. Ratzo, there's a verse. Im Im li, um, libo or libcha ratzo shov leechad. If your heart ratzo means yearning, you desiring, right? Running, striving, yearning. If your heart races, if your heart is striving, if your heart is yearning, in other words, if you want to connect with God, shov leechad return. In other words, if you really want to get close, return. Which means that life is, 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 a, is, a, um, is a balance between these two modalities. What I would call tension and resolution. Tension, not being satisfied with the here and now, and a tension of I don't want to be here, but then the resolution of, but this is where I'm meant to be. Yeah. So last week we talked about the soul coming and helping us right. transform evil or our bad decisions we might make. Right. 
it seems like the soul itself is conflicted. Do I want to stay here and do that, or do I want to go up? Right. So how can they help us? They. How can the, the soul. soul help us? If that's not his path, if, if he's fighting it himself. So remember last week I, I gave two um, rationales for why the soul is here. Either to fight its way escaping or to transform. These are the two modalities. The same two modalities. Okay. Same two dynamics. So you have, on one hand, the soul is trying to escape. Intact. Run for your life. Imagine like those action movies. I don't know if it's Barbie or Oppenheimer. Maybe it's uh, Tomb Raiders or something. Huh? What is it? Indiana Jones. Oh. So imagine you're the bridge. You're on this like rickety bridge thing. And there's a some like the bad guys light the end of the bridge on fire. And now it's the fire's going. You're running. That's like the soul. It's like, run, like get me out of here. This place is bananas. This is crazy. I want to escape with my life. With my, I, I want to go back. Back home. That's on, uh, that's on the one hand. On the other hand, the soul knows that if it were to be home with God, what would God tell it? Why are you here? I sent you there. <laughs> I said, it's like, nice to meet you. Back you go. You know, there were, many, there were a handful of stories of people who the Rebbe sent out on shlichot, you know, out into the field you know, to, to be rabbis and rabbis and rabbis in the communities that at some point came back and said, ah, I, don't think, I don't think it's for me. Ah, I, think, I think I'm going to tap out. I, I, I want to come back. You know, back to Brooklyn. I was like, nope. Why? <laughs> nope. <laughs> I said, I said why? well, the brown says nice. But I was like, no. I, I, you're literally, like, if you really want to, to hang around me, I want you there. I don't want you here. Right? It's like the same. I've, I've shared this again, I, and the, all, all things that we've shared before, but one of the rationales for the sin of the spies, remember the Miraglim, the spies came back with a negative report about the land of Israel? One of the rationales for why they sinned is because they knew that when they would enter the land of Israel, Moshe would not lead them. Mo- Moses was going to die before they hit the border. And if they were going to go in year two, the year after the Exodus, if they were going to go straight into Israel, well, then that means Moses is going to die. They won't have any more time to learn from him, to be around him. So they threw the mission. They threw the mission. They basically said, um, in their own heads, like, we love Moshe. We want to be around him. So let's take 40 years. Let's go on this slow journey. And they were successful. They got what they wanted. They got another 40 years or 39 years with Moshe, with Moses. It's a love story. But the truth is, if you would have asked Moshe, if Mo- Moshe would have told them, if you really love me, go into Israel. I'll be with you in spirit. But go. Don't hang around here. Was that before or after the rock in the water? Oh, right. The rock happened in 38 years. So the rock happens at the end of the 40 years. However, 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 you're asking a good question. Your question is, isn't the reason why Moses didn't go in only happening at the end of the 40 years? Yes. That's right. That's not the real reason. Here's the thing. The Torah tells us that at the beginning, when the people were asking for meat or for food, at some point they were complaining about something, and Moses turns to God and says, I can't deal with all these people and their meat requests. Like, I'm one guy. There's so many people that are all after me. Uh, Hashem says, okay, so take from your spirit and transfer your spirit and, and, and multiply your spirit upon 70 others. Give your spirit. It's like an interesting story that you usually don't focus on. 
we, I know people I think don't usually focus too much on. It. It's like a little bit weird, but it's just uh, confer your your enter your your spirit upon some of the others and prophecy. And so the way he did that was he he chose. Let me do the math here. Um, what's twelve six? What's six times twelve? Seventy-two. He chose six people from each tribe. He got a seventy. So you have twelve tribes. He chose six people from each tribe. That's seventy-two. But you have to get it down to seventy. So he put, he wrote down on seventy-two pieces, seventy pieces of paper, uh, the word Navi, prophet, and on two he left blank. And they, these, they drew the names. And there were two people that ended up in the short end of the straw. And although they were from the original pool of candidates, they were the two that were not granted Moses' prophecy from, uh, as opposed to the 70 that were, and their names were Eldad and Medad. Well, what happens shortly afterwards is Joshua, Yoshua, the Torah says, runs panic to motion. He says, Eldad and Medad do have prophecy. Even though they weren't selected as the official 70, they didn't make the cut of the 70 because they, they drew the blanks, right? But they're still prophesying in the camp. And Rashi says, what were they saying? This is the beginning of the 40 years. Were they saying? Moshe Mace, Moses will die, and Joshua is going to lead them. And that's why Joshua, Yeshua, was panicked. Because they were saying that his, his teacher is going to die and he's going to be the one to lead. So he didn't like that. He's like, Moshe is my guy. Like, I don't want to be the guy. So he was panicked. And Moshe's like, it's fine. Let it be. Let them get. Like, it's, it's a prophecy. Let them get. No, it's a prophecy. Like, this is it. It's legit. And so everyone knew at that point, because they were sp- publicly speaking this prophecy, that Moshe would not lead them into land. Yes, there was a hitting of the rock later on, which was the official reason. But that's not the real reason. That's like in corporate America. That's like the official excuse. But that's not really what happened. What really God, happened is that he wasn't destined to take them into land. Why does God repeat that as the excuse? And why does Moses tell the people, it's because of you guys, uh, you know, that I got angry. Blah, blah, blah. We would have to look at the commentaries. It's a very good question that you're asking, questions that you're asking. We have to figure out how to reconcile that. But it's clear. This is going back to the book of Exodus, yeah, which means it was known. Even if that was a trigger later, but it was known beforehand. Bottom line is the spies knew about this. The 12 leaders that were sent as spies, they knew about this. And so again, by the way, this, all, all that I'm telling you, this, this whole idea this whole about the spies and what their intention was, it's not my idea. This comes from Rabbi David Vital, the son of Rabbi Chaim Vital, who we spoke about yesterday, is one of the guys who got smicha in Tzvat for that very short period of time. So his, his son... Rabbi David Vital writes to, he was a mystic in the 1600s, he writes, or 15 1600s, he writes this idea that basically the spies were in love, I mean, were loved Moshe, loved Moses, and they didn't want to see him perish. And they knew that if they were successful, if everything went smoothly, the next month they might be in Israel. Moses would die, they would be in Israel. They would have another rock provocation to come up to, you know, officially, you know, take out Moses. It seems like Moshe was meant to be the, to, to, to get them from Egypt to the, like that was his task, which I think is beautiful because it means that, it says in Pirkei is also, you don't have to finish, you don't have to finish a job. Sometimes we start jobs and we don't have to finish them. So like some, you have some people who get you to the border, some people get you into the border, like different Sherpas. I don't know, where do Sherpas get you? To the border, to the top. All right, so that's not a good example. But whatever. <laughs> Moses was the Omo Sherpa. Who got us to the border, but not all the way in. So here's the idea. The idea is that the soul by its very nature 
it wants to spend time with Hashem. And yet, by virtue of what Hashem wants, it finds itself here. So the soul is conflicted in its yearnings. It wants to go up, but it needs to be here. So it's got this duality of fire and water. Again, let's bring this back to the red heifer. The red heifer is a composite of ashes and water. Ashes born of fire. Which means that the red heifer is all of us. Our soul consciousness is a composite of fire and water. On the one hand, the soul is yearning to return like fire. It wants to undo its material tether. It's trying to burn through the wick and the oil, the fuel. It's trying to, to consume the fuel to get up. And at the same time, the soul also wants to stay right here. Why? Not because it wants to be here, because its beloved, i.e. God, wants it to be here. Which is why in the same chapter, the same, sorry, Mishnah, the same statement of Pirkei Avot, that's, that tells us that against our will we live, it also says against our will we die. How does that make any sense? It says, Against your will you live and against your will you die. Are you kidding me? What do we want? So that means that life, we don't want life, we don't want death. What do we want? Pizza. I mean, like, what is that? What do we want? What does that even mean? We don't want to live. We don't want to die. That sounds very confused. That sounds very Jewish. It's like, we don't even know what we want, right? What's going on here? So the mystics explained very simply. Against our will we live, meaning the soul by its own nature, left to its own devices, doesn't want to be here. Doesn't want this so-called life. It wants to be up. However, once the soul really attunes its you know, it's, it's consciousness to the divine consciousness and the divine will. It knows that what does Hashem want? It does, God doesn't want the soul to be up there, back home. It wants the soul to be right here for as long as it takes for, for its mission. Which then compel, compels, but then drives the soul to want to be here, not because of itself, but because of what Hashem wants. And thus, when, the soul, when it's time for the soul to go back, the soul doesn't want to leave because it says, maybe I didn't finish my job here. God sent me here. Maybe there's still, I feel like there's still, still work to be done. Anyway, the point is that there's a compot, that the soul, sorry, that life is an admixture of fire and water. And thus the red heifer reminds us of what it means to be alive. You have ashes, you have water, you have fire, you have water. We're going up, we're going down. Tension, resolution. Think about the heart. I'm not a doctor, nor do I play one on TV. However, the, the heart expands and contracts. We have a doctor right here, right? I Am I safe with that? Yeah. Expanding and contracting the lungs. Can How we also? How do I get purified? Oh, <laughs> got a little red heifer. I got a red heifer in the back. <laughs> so, so um, the lungs expand, contract. Think about like the heart, like the pulse, the blood. Right? There's there's a constant flow this way and that way, this way and that way. It's a divine breath, you know. Even breath, inhale, exhale. Um, and, and, and that is the constant, uh, the, the pulse of life, as it were. And so all of this is to say that there's a mitzvah that exists. There's, there's as the mitzvah exists on a, surf, on a surface level, and then there's the way the mitzvah exists on a deeper level. Studying with the angels means, learning with the angels means, not dancing with the stars, but learning with the angels means that we are looking at Torah not just as the code that's in front of our eyes, trying to make sense of this string of letters on the surface, but to recognize that this string of letters also indicates something way deeper, deeper truths about life and about purpose and about meaning. 
And it's only when we have this perception or this perspective or the awareness of this perspective that Torah can truly be nitzchi. What does the word nitzchi mean in Hebrew? Forever. Eternal. How is Torah forever? Diamonds are forever. <laughs> according to De Beers. According to James Bond. And James Bond also. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> De Beers. Right. Isn't De Beers the big... Uh, yeah. Thing? Yeah. Right. They created that. Huh? South Africa. South Africa. Oh, could be. Yeah. It's also Chicago, right? De Beers. <laughs> remember that one? Yeah. The, remember SNL? The beers. That was a local market. Ditka? Uh, it was it local? More local market. Oh, you're saying Falcons. Oh, the beers, right. So, so we have, um, you know, Torah is Nitzchi. Torah is forever. How does that work? There's so many mitzvot in Torah. Someone says, you know, Torah has eternal messages for us. Really? Like, what am I learning from, from a red heifer that I can't do today? What am I learning from, and we're going to get to this next week, what am I learning from the story of Moses sending, we spoke about this kind of today, of Moses sending the spies? What do I learn from that? That's, that's a story that happened once upon a time for a very particular reason, that the Jews were not in Israel. They were going to go into the land, and Moses sends spies. It doesn't work out. Joshua sends spies later, um, you know, 40 years later. It does work out. And, okay, so am I supposed to learn a lesson from these stories? Why, why should I learn a lesson from these stories? In other words, it, the Torah is a history book. The Torah gives me mitzvot. I'm saying, I'm saying at the surface, right? I would say the Torah is giving me some mitzvot that I, that I can do today. And the rest of it is history. The rest of it is what they did back then. 3,000, literally 3,300 years ago. So I, Moses sent spies. It didn't work out. I maybe learn what not to do, right? Joshua sent spies. It did work out. A red heifer. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's good to know what the ancient Israelites used to do to purify themselves. Very nice. That's a perspective that says the Torah is not eternal. That's a non-eternal Torah perspective. The perspective the Torah is eternal says that every word of Torah, every letter, every character of code of Torah has a deeper significance and thus on a spiritual level certainly has a modern day ever-present meaning. Torah is eternal means that I can study Torah and I can see beyond the surface because sometimes the surface limits the context to a certain time and place. But if I can see Torah from a deeper perspective, I can recognize that this mitzvah or this story, this biblical tale, this biblical commandment has far-reaching implications beyond the then and there, there and then, and exists into the here and now. And so my friends, that's what we're going to do next week, is we're going to look at the story, which again, we spoke about a little bit today, of Moses sending the spies and understand this on a deeper level. What was the spiritual intention? What did Moses, what was he trying to accomplish? Why did it fail? It's easy to say it failed because, you know, I said today because they wanted to be, the spies, want, they, they loved Moses, they wanted to be around with him for another 40 years. Or they dropped the mission, they became too arrogant. and what, You have all these commentaries explaining why the spies failed. But we're going to look at this but that's all, that explains what someone did back in the day. What does that mean for me? So we're going to reimagine the story of the spies as a, as a modern day drama. What does it mean to try to conquer our own personality? What does it mean to try to conquer our own demons or vices? What does it mean to, to, to look ourselves in the mirror and see flaws that we want to address? And how do we address those flaws? There's the Moses approach. 
And there's the Joshua approach. One doesn't always work. Moses' approach in sending spies didn't work. Joshua's approach did. So if you're looking for guaranteed results, go with Joshua's approach. But Moses' approach, although it's not always successful, it's very powerful. If it works, it's even more powerful than Joshua's approach. But what does that even mean? What, is, what are we trying to do? What is Joshua's approach? What's Moses' approach? For that, you need to come back next week to find out. Did the, oh, you guys are not here? Uh-huh. All right, call me. <laughs> so, so, um, so come back next week to find out what, this, what the deeper meaning of the story of the spies sent by Moses, sent by Joshua, and what it means for us today. And again, I just, I just really want to emphasize this one more time. I know the whole class was about this, but one more final, um, you know, yeah, one more final push about this idea. You can study Torah on the surface. And it's got history, and it's got some laws that we do, some laws that we don't do, and it's like, it's a nice story. But think, just try to think of, of, all, of the letters of Torah. Imagine a Torah scroll. You see the letters? Think of them as code. And there's something that is represented behind the surface. There's another world that's being created by this code. And that world is Nitzchi, is eternal. When I say eternal, it's eternally relevant to us right here, right now in 2023. That level of Torah is always present, is always relevant to us. And it's this level really that Sod exposes, Sod, i.e. the deepest level of Paradise, the deepest level of Torah, the, the mystical dimension. That's the idea of what we try to do on Sunday mornings. So today is kind of like the setup for this concept. And we did a little bit of this with the pardon, with the red heifer, exploring how the red heifer symbolizes the yearning of the soul and the, I mean, the, the, really the struggle of, of existentialism. Do we, want to, do, do we want to be here, right? To be or not to be, right? Think about it in that terms, like to be or not to be. The soul doesn't want to be, but it is. So that, that struggle is, is embodied by the, by the red heifer. Next week, we'll see about how you and I confront our inner challenges, our inner, you know, our inner um, vices using two approaches, the Moses approach, the Joshua approach, why one is more powerful, but the other is more practical, immediately practical to do. All right, come back next week, same bad time, same bad channel. A few quick announcements, a few quick announcements. Number one, um, we have upcoming, I'm going to be starting a Hebrew reading course. So for those that wish to learn how to read Hebrew or to gain more Hebrew fluency, um, join me. This is going to be a Thursday evening course starting in a few weeks. Join me for five weeks for Hebrew reading. You get flashcards. There's an app that comes along with this. Um, it's a great program, and uh, we're calling it the Hebrew course. Um, in addition, I will be starting a new course called Money Matters, and this is a business ethics course. So this is a course about business, eth business ethics, CEO compensation, insider trading, um, unions from a Jewish perspective, etc., Fascinating um, um, uh, classes, fascinating discussions. Join me. We're going to do daytime and evening on Wednesdays, starting again in a few weeks. Toward the end of this month, I think this might be breaking news. I don't think I've publicly shared this. Huh? No, no, end of next month. Torah Center and CBT, Batfila, are combining on a Shabbaton. The theme is Shabbat out of Africa. 
and oh my gosh he's ready you've planted subliminal messages this whole time how dare you that's that's amazing so Shabbat out of Africa my brother-in-law who is the former chief cantor of the Sydenham uh, synagogue in Johannesburg which is like the, one of the big ones will be here for Shabbat with a choir there's going to be a whole elaborate thing. Friday night dinner with South African themed food. We're going to have um, uh, a, a three scholars in residence from the continent of Africa here with us, born and bred there. This is going to be the 25th and 26th of August. It's going to be a lot of fun. Are you guys here? I'm hoping you guys are here. Awesome. We'll be scheduled around you guys anyway. Thank so. you. Um, so save the date. More information will be going out. We have other incredible things coming up toward the end of August, including um, a Holocaust survivor who's coming from Arizona all the way here for one night only to speak to our community and share her incredible story. She is 95 years old and uh, she is still traveling and she will be here to share her story. Stay tuned for more information about that. And there's way more things that I'm forgetting, but those are just a sampling of what is happening um, this coming month in August. So just... Look out for more information. Take a look at the calendar. And uh, I mean, take a look at the emails as they come in. And it's great to see everyone. Shavuot Tov. Also, breaking news. Breaking news on a personal level. My, so Leah's brother and his wife and their three kids just moved to Atlanta to Sandy Springs this morning. Yes. Oh, yes. They just, from Brooklyn. From Kranitz. Shlaimi. He runs the Smicha program, the online Smicha program. He was here on Pesach. So, so he was here. I don't know that he was checking it out to move, but he loved it so much. Well, he was also here in what, April? Before it was 95 degrees, right? Like, oh my gosh. Right, it was like, so, so he, so they, he, they fell in love with it. And their stuff came Friday. They just flew in this morning. They landed, I think, like 9 o'clock. Now you have to go help unpack. Move boxes. I mean, I'm a good brother-in-law, but not that good. <laughs> no, <I'm> kidding. <laughs> so it's really exciting to have Mishpat. Um, this is the first time that we have family wow. living in the same city with family. We've never lived. How long have you been here? We've been here about 16 years. Not in Sandy Springs, but like in Atlanta. So your and kids are all adopted? No family? <laughs> well, I mean, no other family. Good. Say it again. No, <laughs> I missed it. Darn. Good. Maybe, maybe it'll show up on the. Uh... So anyway, so the idea here is, oh, my wife is gone. So I would imagine it's about something related. So, um, so we're really excited. He'll be in Shul. He's moving into the community. He's moving into the neighborhood, um, and uh, we're super excited. So you guys, if you're around Shabbos, you'll see him in Shul. Um, he's going to be one of the scholars. In, he and his wife will be one of the scholars in residence when we're doing the Shabbat um, out of Africa. We took them out of Africa. Well, but, but via Brooklyn also. He was in Brooklyn. But originally from, she's also from South Africa. So we're very excited. Yes. Which synagogue in Johannesburg is that rabbi um, associated with? So my brother-in-law was associated. He was the, he was the former chazan for many years of Sydney. Sydney Synagogue, which is one of the big ones. Uh, rabbi Goldman is the rabbi over there, and he was the, uh, the chief cantor. 
They recently, like about a year and a half ago, during COVID, they moved to London, where he's originally from. Um, so uh, his name is Yuri Cohen. Oh, did I mention he's my brother-in-law also? Oh, I don't think I mentioned that. He's married to, Le- to my wife's sister. So uh, sorry for that. There's a lot of family happening right now, but not sorry, but like, there's just, not, I'm not trying not to lose everybody. But yeah, so the Chazin who's coming is my brother-in-law. My other brother-in-law just moved in today. So there's, there's a few things that are happening. But he's not the Chazin. But he's a bit of a, he's a scholar. Um, the Chazin is a, he's not only my brother-in-law, he is a top-notch. He also sings opera. This guy is like, he's legit. He's going to put on a, he's also hilarious. Yeah, 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 yeah. He knows, he knows um, uh, Barry Herman. He knows him from Johannesburg. They work together over there. So he's super excited, super stoked. There's going to be a Kumsit Saturday night. It's, it's a full-on weekend, beautiful weekend of community. And it's going to be three weeks before the high holiday. So a really good way to bring the whole community together and, and get inspired for the holidays. So it's going to be a lot of fun. So stay tuned for that because we're going to send out more information about how to sign up for the dinner and all that good stuff. All right, so let's, uh, let's say hi to our online crew. Dr. Maxi, Larry, Ray, Ellen, Matt, Maritza, Lisa, Mariana. Great to see you. Great to see all of you. And uh, next week, we have a special class with a special celebration. So stay tuned. Stay tuned for next week's class. A special dedication and celebration in honor of a very special person. All right. We will uh, see you soon. Shavua Tov. Uh, take a look. Look out for those emails for uh, with upcoming information. See you guys. Take care.